Well, as the summer comes to a close, so too our summer sermon series will be wrapping up. We've got uh, today and then, uh, Lord willing, next Sunday we'll wrap up the summer sermon series, Tough Questions. And if you've been with us, you know we've been taking a look at a different question each week and uh, examining the question, seeing what does God's Word have to say. And these are questions about life, about the Bible, about God, uh, about some of the things that we're seeing within this world around us. We've looked at questions such as, how can we know that, that the Bible is trustworthy? We looked at a question early on, did, did Jesus really have to die on the cross? Because in some circles today, that's, that's being disputed. We looked last week on whether or not science is the enemy of faith. And in many ways, the series has really been about worldview, specifically how a biblical worldview affects the way in which we can look at various aspects of life. Today, we'll consider how a biblical worldview affects the topic of gender. Stephanie mentioned that at the beginning of the service. What an important topic uh, for us to, to, uh, to grapple with today, to seek to understand for ourselves, for our church, for our children, but also to be able to have a, an answer uh, for the world today. The specific question that we'll be looking at is this. How should the church respond in the discussion of transgender identity? Transgender identity is obviously a topic that has catapulted, has been catapulted into the public square, and it's created quite a ripple effect into so many different areas of life, and I'm going to give some examples of that uh, in the message today. But before I do, I want to emphasize from the very beginning of the message that this is a very sensitive topic, and I understand that. We're going to be addressing issues of identity, which strike at the very heart of how people view themselves and how others view them. We're going to consider what the Bible has to say about gender. We will look at specific ways the church can uphold the, the truth of God's word, uh, as I said earlier, for our young people, for, for, our, for our own benefit, but also for the world around us. I'm going to recommend a few resources along the way. But, but, but as we jump into the message, the first point that I'll make today is really one that I hope will set the tone for the message, and that is this. Number one, begin with compassion. Begin with compassion. All people are image bearers of God. So as we think about a delicate topic today, I want to emphasize that when a person struggles with gender identity, it's an opportunity for us to express genuine concern and care for them they are coming and saying they struggle with this particular area, they're opening up, they're being transparent, they're allowing us to be able to listen and to come alongside. Let me just also say that it's never appropriate to mock someone who is struggling with gender identity. These individuals should never be scorned, belittled, laughed at, or bullied in any way whatsoever. And I'm sad that I even have to make that statement, but you and I know that it needs to be made. That, uh, that we need to recognize that those are never appropriate responses. The person who is struggling with gender identity is created in the image of God, loved by God, and deserving the dignity afforded to every other person as, Im as an image bearer of God. Now, I know that for some here today, this topic hits very close to home. Maybe you have a friend or a relative that has struggled with gender identity. 
Or maybe this is something that you have personally struggled with, and it's a topic that has brought pain and confusion into your life. I assure you that I want to take great care today in speaking on this topic. And I feel uh, a responsibility to make sure that it's handled both carefully and truthfully. A book that I have found uh, in recent weeks to be very helpful uh, for preparing for today's message is a book by Andrew Walker called God and the Transgender Debate. And I've got uh, several quotes in the message from him, so I want to attribute uh, this, uh, those quotes to this book uh, as, we, uh, as we begin the message. I appreciate the, the way he even opens the book, and I'd like to share what he says. He says, Jesus debated issues, but much more than that, he loved people. All kinds of people came to speak with him during his time on earth. The religious insiders, the socially excluded, the handicapped, the undesirables, the rich, the poor, the young, the old. Those whose lives have been messed up by others and those whose lives have been messed up by themselves. And Jesus loved them all, made time for them all and respected them all. He didn't always agree with them, but he always, what does it say, loved them especially those who came to him hurting. So I think this is the place to begin, to make sure that our, that our hearts are tender and that our attitudes are tempered. And Jesus gives us the perfect example. I love a quote that, that the Lord gives in Matthew chapter 12. He's actually quoting the Old Testament uh, uh, prophet uh, Isaiah When he says, he will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. That's a a powerful image there. That those who are fragile, those who are that are bruised, kind of like a reed that is that has been bent, it's not Christ that's going to come and break it. That's not that's not his demeanor. His demeanor is that of healer, that of, of restorer. That, that to come alongside and, and give new life, not to, not to extinguish the broken life. The imagery there of a smoldering wick, those who feel as if their flame is barely lit. Is Jesus the one to just come out and, and snuff it out? I mean, that's not who he is. He's come to bring light and to bring life. And so, so maybe today there are some with us that feel like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. And that, that of course, applies to a lot of different aspects of life, right? When we can feel beaten up or bruised by by what it is that we're experiencing. But to know that Christ has come to bring life, to bring light, to bring his truth and his grace. So the followers of Christ should take a similar approach and follow his example. I'm also reminded that in John chapter 1, He's described in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And it's very important that we see both aspects of this, that Christ comes bringing grace and truth. It's not one or the other, it's both. And for the issue of gender identity, it's vital that our attitudes and our words are seasoned with both grace and truth. 
Just think of what happens when that pendulum gets swung too far in either direction. If it's nothing but grace, we don't uphold the truth. If it's only truth, we don't come with grace, love, and compassion. So we see that Christ models both grace and truth. That's the first point, that we want to begin with compassion and be reminded today that all people are image bearers of God. It's a great reminder for us today. The second point is this, understand the times and be aware of changing values. And I'm going to spend some time on this one because as a church, we cannot have our head in the sand. And in fact, that's the whole reason for the Tough Question series is that we want to be able to bring truth to the tough questions that are taking place in the culture today. We do not want our children growing up and having an experience in church where they would one day look back and say, well, my church never took on those hard questions. They just swept them under the rug. They just ignored them. And to see our young people then grapple with these tough questions that that if they go unanswered, if they are suppressed, can turn into doubts. And doubts that linger can turn into what? Unbelief, right? And so these are are all important questions. And they they have a common common theme as as we look to biblical worldview and we look to the truth as being authoritative. And so we must be aware of what's happening around us so that we can speak to the issues and we can speak to the times in order to equip ourselves and our children, but to also offer truth and hope and life to a world around us that is in confusion and in chaos and in brokenness. Very, very important that we look at these matters. Again, we hold to absolute truth, and yet we live within a culture that embraces and even prioritizes relativistic truth. We're going to be looking at that in just a moment. So this second point raises the issue of gender and the confusion that now exists in our culture today. Yes, it was once a settled idea that there are two genders, male and female, but our culture is now greatly confused. In fact, if you create an account at Facebook and you are identifying yourself uh, these days, you have 58 gender options. And realizing that 58 is not enough, the team added that if you, if you can't find something in the pre-populated list, you can add up to additional 10 gender terms. And so I use that as an example just to say that, that there's confusion out there. There's, 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 a, uh, there's, there's, a, there's even debate happening, even within the medical community. You may have heard of the American Psychiatric Association's uh, guide that's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Sometimes it's just referenced uh, uh, by the abbreviation DSM. Uh, and and the the older manual was DSM-4, and the one that's current today is DSM-5. And and you see that from one one edition to the next, there has been a debate. Again, this is a manual of mental disorders that used to include a diagnosis for gender identity disorder. But in the most recent version, DSM-5, it has replaced that phrase with gender dysphoria no longer using the word disorder. And there's still debate, which I'll talk about in a minute, within the medical community. But let's look at some of these terms. 
briefly. Mark Yarhouse is a professor of psychology at, Re at Regent University, and he's offered these definitions. The first one is for gender dysphoria. It is the experience of having a psychological and emotional identity as either male or female, and that your psychological and emotional identity does not correspond to your biological sex. This, is per this perceived incongruity can be the source of deep and ongoing discomfort. And so gender dysphoria is real, it's something that people struggle with, and it's an issue that, that is deserving of our compassion and our care, as I said earlier, uh, but for us to, to try to seek to understand uh, what someone is struggling with. The term transgender is an umbrella term, he says, for the many ways in which people might experience their gender identities differently from people whose gender identity is congruent with their birth sex. And so you can see that these kind of help us try to have a window or an understanding of, uh, of what someone is struggling with. A question that oftentimes arises in the discussion of gender identity is whether the number of people who identify in a way other than their birth gender can be quantified. And uh, the most recent data I could find was from 2016, so five years ago, and it stated that 0.6, so 0.6% of U.S. adults identify as transgender. And as I was looking at this topic five years ago, uh, and looking back at some, some research that was available then, what's interesting to me is that in 10 years, the number doubled. And so five years ago, when I was looking into this topic, uh, the American population, uh, the, the population within America of those who, who identified as transgender would have been around 700,000 people. And now that's about 1.4 million people from 0.3 to 0.6%. And again, I'm using data that's five years old. And so I, I have a, a strong feeling that those numbers are even higher. It's, it's a real issue right now within, uh, within our culture. Those numbers, by the way, are from the Williams Institute out of UCLA. Even the medical community, though, is divided on how best to approach the topic of gender identity. Realizing that it's an issue, how do physicians... How do psychiatrists deal with this? And so there's, there's a lot of, of different uh, dialogue, even among the medical community. In fact, you may have seen that in June of this year, just a couple of months ago, the American Medical Association recommended that the sex designation be removed from the public-facing portion of babies' birth certificates, reserving that information only for medical professionals. So even that the birth certificate that a child would come home with uh, would not be designated male or female. Again, who's making this recommendation? The American Medical Association. There was an advisory committee that was, that was dialoguing about this, and this advisory committee said this, assigning sex using a binary variable and placing it on the public portion of the birth certificate perpetuates a view that it, meaning gender, is immutable or unchangeable. Designating babies as either male or female at birth fails to recognize the medical spectrum of gender identity. Did you catch that last phrase? The medical spectrum. But then we have other medical professionals. There was a, a lengthy report that you, can, that you can see, you can find it online, uh, by Dr. Paul McHugh, who is the former 
chief of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Hospital. And he co-authored a report with a medical doctor by the name of Dr. Lawrence Meyer, uh, also a professor this, uh, at the Arizona State University. And so these, these are, these are uh, uh, medical professionals, top of their field, and this is what they say. Examining research from the biological, psychological, and social sciences, this report shows that some of the most frequently heard claims about sexuality and gender are not supported by scientific evidence. The hypothesis that gender identity is an innate fixed property of human beings that is independent of biological sex, that a person might be a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body, is not supported, they claim, by scientific evidence. And so in this report, these authors conclude that most children that experience gender dysphoria at a young age, most of them will grow out of gender confusion. Furthermore, they refute the alleged benefits of therapies to delay puberty, hormone treatments, or surgical modifications for children, and cautioned against encouraging young people to become transgender. Now, let me just point out, are these guys theologians? They're not. They're medical professionals. I have no idea what their, what their faith perspective is. What's my point? I just want to, to demonstrate in this message today that even within the medical community, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real debate going on about this very topic. There are also a rising number of people who have come forward to speak of their own experiences. And I, and I read some of them. I read their names. I, I saw their pictures. I read their accounts. And I, I decided not to, to, to come and, and put pictures and such on the, on the screen. I don't know that that's, that that's as helpful. But you can read about individuals who have come forward to, to talk about their own experience of being given hormone therapies or gender reassignment surgeries. Because there is a growing number of people that are saying this did not help them feel better. In fact, in May of this year, just a few months ago, uh, the TV program 60 Minutes did a show on people who had detransitioned, uh, meaning that they had transitioned to another gender, but then come back to the original gender. And by the way, 60 Minutes caught some, some heat for, for even having a program out like that. Uh, but there are a number of people who have come forward to speak about the aftermath of these hormone therapies and these surgeries, which they came to regret. These are really heartbreaking accounts of people who uh, were looking for happiness in another gender, only to find that they were left with more pain. And so I think it's important for us and for our young people to also realize there's another side of this, uh, of this debate. In fact, last year I was listening to an interview of an author by the name of Abigail Schreier. Uh, she's actually a writer for the Wall Street Journal, and she wrote a book on this very topic called Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. And there are some, uh, some places that won't even allow this book to be sold. And so again, I don't know necessarily the faith background on it, but I will tell you that she has documented people that, uh, that have had a, a, a terrible time with this understanding of gender reassignment. From, uh, so anyway, I just, I just think it's, it, it's, it's important for us to hear uh, some of these stories of individuals who have suffered negative consequences from transitioning. What's the point? 
My point is this. There is a debate happening within the medical and scientific community regarding the topic of gender identity and gender fluidity. Um, in many circles, it's viewed right now as a crisis. Uh, we might see it from a spiritual terms, but there are others that would even see it from a, from a health crisis perspective. And so you have all of this debate. You see what's happened and, 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 and how it has been catapulted, as I said, onto the scene. And so now there's a lot of big decisions that are happening very quickly and affecting a lot of lives. And yet there's a debate happening. This isn't settled in, uh, in, in many circles. And yet while that debate is happening, there is at the same time a major push happening from other parts of society to accept it, even from children's programming. My kids used to watch a Nickelodeon show called Blue's Clues. Have you ever heard of Blue's Clues? Now, notice I said my kids used to watch it because they're now in high school and college, okay? They don't watch it anymore, but some of your kids or grandkids might. It's about a dog named Blue that solves a mystery or a question in each episode. And earlier this summer, they had an episode with an animated drag queen promoting different types of genders and families attending a gay pride parade. And you can watch the clip online if, if you'd like just to see uh, what's happening. And this is, a, this is a television show that's geared for preschoolers, people up to kindergarten, under five years old. There's other ways in which our children are being, are being uh, uh, taught and, and, and fed these thoughts. Some school districts, including one in our area, used a curriculum called the gender bred person. And you can find there's other, other, there's like a, there's a gender unicorn and there's different ways in which this curriculum is put together. And if you look at the gender bred person, you'll see that it's clearly trying to explain that, that the gender identity rests in the brain and the biological sex, sex, excuse me, relates in the anatomy, but that they can be different. And that even the expression of that can be different. The orientation towards who someone loves can be different. So you see all of this. There's four different categories here. And all of the different terms. And that this, when it's being taught in a school setting, um, is, uh, is troubling. That, that young people are, are, are seeing this from, from those they would view as respected authorities in really any matter of education. And yet coming in and teaching uh, this uh, makes it very, very difficult for our young people to be able to see their way through it. Notice those different categories. Notice the many different options that could create quite confusion. In fact, there's been a video recently of a teenager. It's a, it's a TikTok video, and, and just, just to settle the, the, the thought, I do not have a TikTok account. I'm not nearly cool enough for one of those. But I did see an article that, that, that referenced this TikTok video, and it was a young person who was showing the different bracelets that she had. And she said, depending on which bracelet I'm wearing, it will tell you which pronouns I want for the day. And that she may have different pronouns day by day. In fact, she said there have been some days where she's had to rotate the bracelets because her, her gender identity changed throughout the day. And so these are the kinds of things that behind the scenes we may not be aware that, 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 that is, that's affecting the way we think. As a culture, as young people, when, when we are exposed to so much of that type of thinking, how does it impact us? How does it impact 
Our young people, if from a very young age, you're taught that gender is not established biologically, but instead a psychological construct that is fluid. Behind it all, you begin to see that truth is not fixed, but what? Relative. It's all relative. We've seen our culture move away from absolutes, especially moral absolutes, and instead embrace a perspective that truth is relative. In addition to this, we are now, let me just give you a few different things here. We are in a post-Christian culture, meaning that the historic Christian faith is no longer shaping the moral compass of our society. Okay, it, it, we're post-Christian now. In his book, Andrew Walker also suggests that this has led to radical individualism. What an individual wills or wants is the highest good, and it is wrong to tell someone that his or her choices or beliefs are wrong or immoral. So that's, that's individualism, what he calls radical individualism. You add that with the post-Christian age that we're in, and then add to that relativism, where truth is relative, not, not absolute, and then, and then for good measure, you can add the sexual revolution that began in the 60s to that. You put all that in the hopper, what do you get in terms of a worldview? That's where we are. That's where we are. And we need to understand that for our church and for ourselves, for our young people. I want to share with you a video clip that took place at the University of Washington. It's kind of a, a man-on-the-street type of, type of interview. And students are interviewed about the topic of identity and whether traits that define identity, here's the question, are they fixed or are they fluid? There's been a lot of talk about identity lately. But how far does it go? And is it possible to be wrong? We went to the University of Washington to find out. Are you aware of the debate happening in Washington State around um, the ability to access bathrooms, locker rooms, spas based on gender identity and gender expression? I, I think people should be able to have access to the facility. I think uh, bathrooms could and potentially should be gender neutral because there doesn't need to be a classification for differences. I think people definitely should have the ability to go into whichever locker room they want. Uh, I feel like at least public universities should do their best to accommodate for those who do not have a specific uh, gender identity. You know, whether you identify as male or female and whether your sex at birth is matching to that, you should be able to utilize the resources. So if I told you that I was a woman, what would your response be? Good for you. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Nice to meet you. I'll be like, what? <laughs> really? I don't have a problem with it. I'd ask you how you came to that conclusion. If I told you that I was Chinese, what would your response be? I mean, I might be a little surprised, but I would say, good for you. Like, yeah, be who you are. <laughs> I would maybe think you had some Chinese ancestor. I would ask you how you similarly came to that conclusion and why you came to that conclusion. Um, I would have a lot of questions just because on the outside, I would assume that you're a white man. If I told you that I was seven years old, what would your response be? Um, I wouldn't believe that immediately. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't believe it, but I mean, 
I it wouldn't really bother me that much to go out of my way and tell you no, you're wrong. I'd just be like, oh, okay, he wants to say he's seven years old. If you feel seven at heart, then <laughs> then so be it. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> so if I wanted to enroll in a first grade class, do you think I should be allowed to? Uh, probably not, I guess. I mean, unless you haven't completed first grade up to this point and for some reason need to do that now. If that's where you feel like mentally you should be, then I feel like there are communities that would accept you for that. I would say so long as you're not hindering society and you're not causing harm to other people, I feel like that should be an okay thing. If I told you I'm six feet, five inches, what would you say? That I would question. Why? <laughs> because you're not. <laughs> no, I don't think you're six foot five. If you truly believed you're six five, I don't think it's harmful. I think it's fine if you believe that. It doesn't matter to me if you think you're taller than you are. <laughs> so you'd be willing to tell me I'm wrong? I wouldn't tell you you're wrong. No, but I say that um, I don't think that you are. I feel like that's not my place as like another human to say someone is wrong or to draw lines or boundaries. No, I mean, I wouldn't just go like, oh, you're wrong. Like, that's wrong to believe in it. Because, I mean, again, it doesn't really bother me what you want to think about your height or anything. So I can be a Chinese woman. You... <laughs> um, sure. But I can't be a six foot five Chinese woman. Yes. If you thoroughly debated me or explained why you felt that you were six foot five, uh, I feel like I would be very open to saying that you are six foot five or Chinese or a woman. It shouldn't be hard to tell a five nine white guy that he's not a six foot five Chinese woman, but clearly it is. Why? What does that say about our culture? And what does that say about our ability to answer the questions that actually are difficult? All right, that's good. So what's the key response that I took away from these interviews? The answer, it's not my place to say. That was the general idea. That was the struggle internally that each of these students, they, they were coming from what type of perspective? Very relativistic, right? And you see how it just continues? Where does it stop? How does it end? Or you might ask the other question, how did it begin? You see, that's the topic that we're looking at today is, is we look back and see the push that is happening and showing uh, our children how they should or should not think. And some would say, well, isn't it a mindset that, that really doesn't affect others? Isn't gender identity something that's just so, so personal? But let me just add this. At some point, society is indeed affected. Let me share just a few examples. We've seen what's happened in women's sports, haven't we? It's biological males compete against females. Even the USA Today had an article uh, in May of this year about a high school runner by the name of Chelsea Mitchell. The title of the article is, and I quote, I was the fastest girl in Connecticut, but transgender athletes made it an unfair fight. She noted, I've lost four women's state championship titles two All-New England awards and numerous other spots on the podium to male runners. I was bumped to third place in 2019 behind two male runners. With every loss, it gets harder and harder again to, to try, end quote. So that's, that's one example. Um, I read about a woman in Michigan. She was a member at the Planet Fitness Gym in her city. 
She objected when a biological male began using the women's locker room. She said she didn't want to shower or change clothes in that environment. Eventually, her membership was revoked because she had broken the non-judgmental policy of the health facility. Or maybe you've heard about the reports from California that the prison system has recently changed uh, within this year its policy to allow bio, uh, biological men who identify as transgendered women to be admitted into women's prisons. Have you heard about this? The women's prison is now dealing with pregnancies and the real, realization that contraception must now be available in the women's prison. Some of these inmates had been placed in prison for assaults against women, and now they're being housed in prison among women. Women's right activists are ob objecting to similar laws in Washington state as women are terrified with who may be placed in their cells. Move from there to the state of Nevada, and in June of this year, it was reported that the Miss Nevada USA beauty pageant winner was won by Cata Cataluna Enrique Enriquez, who was born a biological male and now identifies as a female. Why am I giving you these examples? To show that it's not something that is just an individual choice that doesn't affect others. Clearly, it has a ripple effect. We could go on and on with examples which show that indeed others are affected. In fact, an entire society is affected when gender is no longer seen as biological but psychological. The second point here is simply to understand the times. As a church and as families, we need to know how to navigate these ideologies that are rooted in individualism and relativism, which brings me to the final point, number three. We begin with compassion, we understand the times, and finally we examine the word. It is authoritative, timeless truth. And in looking to the Word of God, we see that it, it does indeed shed light on the issue of transgender identity. But we must consider that the, that the authority of the Bible rests upon who it is that gave it to us. And that, of course, being our Creator God. He gives timeless and absolute truth. Oftentimes, the debate surrounding the ethics of specific matters comes down to who is able to make the determination of what is right or what is wrong. Trevin Wax, in his article, Why the Culture's Wars Rage On, asks this question. He says, is truth something we make or receive? That is what the debates are all about. This vision of human autonomy is behind today's battles over transgender rights. Again, begs the question, who gets to determine what is right and wrong? And if it's personal autonomy, that means that, that, that an individual makes truth for themselves. This point is about examining the Bible, using the Word of God to give us direction regarding the matter of gender. And I'd like at this point to make another book recommendation. It's called Gender, a Conversation Guide for Parents and Pastors. It's very helpful. It has a lot of scripture passages within it that you can also use. It has age-appropriate suggestions that can be used to help young people navigate the chaos surrounding gender identity. I'm going to share several passages of scripture that relate to the topic, but both of these books that I have recommended might be helpful resources as well. In order to properly understand gender, we have to begin with an understanding that God is the creator. We spent time on this last week as we were considering the nature of science and faith, and we saw that God indeed has designed the universe and everything in it. 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verses 27 and 28, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. We see that people are created in the imago dei, the image of God. Every single person has unique worth and value because every single person is an image bearer of God. Andrew Walker says humans are not identical to God, but they are made to be like God in features such as their moral aspects, spiritual aspects, mental aspects, and relational aspects. He also says God made men and women different in function and equal in worth. God created humanity in such a way that man and woman woman are created for one another, each made to complement the other. All of this was part of God's very good blueprint. You see, we're created in God's image, and we see that, that all the way back in Genesis, the two genders are noted. There is a blueprint, a divine design for the people whom God created in his image. So think about that design. Think about how God equipped Adam and Eve to fulfill his mandate, to be fruitful and multiply. And this original blueprint would be further explained throughout Scripture as men and women understood other aspects of their identity. The question such as, what does it mean to be a godly man? What does it mean to be a godly woman? I'm doing a a Bible study with my boys who are in high school, and it's the same one I did years ago with high schoolers and college students of our church, and it, 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 it comes to bring about a biblical definition of manhood, meaning, yes, the world is going to tell you what it means to be a man, but what does the Bible say? Because the world doesn't always get it right, does it? Does the, does the world get it right on what it means to be a woman? Not always. And so we've got to be able to compare and contrast. The men's retreat, that's the whole topic uh, next weekend. By the way, it's not too late. If you'd like to jump on and be a part of the men's retreat, is speaking about this very idea of what does it mean to be a man of God. Beyond the design of men and women, we can also see the design for the roles of husbands and wives for those who are married. For those who are parents, the role of of, of father and mother. The Bible continues to give instruction on these roles, which are part of God's blueprint for the family. That's how important identity is. It's foundational, not just for an individual, but for a society. And as a church, we must not let the culture redefine gender issues for us, but we must go back to the Word of God for clear direction regarding identity. Again, all the way back to the opening chapter of Genesis, God created man and woman in his image. And it says in verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. God was pleased with his creation. And so you might ask, well, then what happened? What happened to his creation? We know that in Genesis 3, the first humans decided to question the authority of God, the creator. And this is where everything goes off the rails Andrew Walker explains it this way. In reaching for the fruit that represented authority to rule, Adam and Eve denied God's authority, doubted God's knowledge, and disputed God's loving goodness. They would take up the mantle of their own authority. They would see their knowledge as perfect, and they would trust wholly in themselves. Does that sound like a familiar perspective? 
They wanted to make the rules for themselves and remold the world to fit a new narrative, one in which they sat on the throne of their lives and they decided what was right and what was wrong. I just want to say that all of us, all of us have followed the Genesis 3 path. The rebellion story of Adam and Eve is our story too. We're all sinners. We've all rebelled against God's plan and his design. We all stand in need of a Savior. Peter reminded us by saying, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And we, we recognize those desires. Some are pride and bitterness, anger, greed, gluttony. Others are sexual desires of lust or temptations within sexual identity to live in a way that goes against the blueprint that God has given. Even Paul describes these desires in Romans chapter 1. He says, this re- for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. And he explains that women and men were, were, were exchanging natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And so again, the idea of, of male and female, the blueprint, the identity. And so we read all of this and see that for God, it's important that the The divine distinction of identity is maintained, uh, of gender identity. In fact, even in Deuteronomy 22.5, there's even a reference of of the clothing people wear to make sure that they are identifying themselves. Uh, And again, there's a lot of other uh, uh, passages that could be added to that, I'm sure. But my point is this. There was a blueprint given, a divine design, going all the way back to the opening chapter of the Bible that deal with the topic of gender identity. So in closing, I know that we see the devastation and the brokenness which resulted from humanity choosing a different way. The rejection of gender identity is is only one manifestation of, uh, one of the manifestations of, of, of the temptation to rebel against God's blueprint. But the point of the message today is to see that there is a design for gender, is given by God the Creator. And just like every part of God's truth, we must uphold it and not compromise the truth of God's Word. Yet the key is to do so in the way described in Ephesians 4.15, and that is to speak the truth. But how are we to do it? We are to speak the truth in love. I know it's been a difficult topic, I think I've gone a little long today, or maybe I got started a little late. I don't know which it was, but we finished, and I thank you for hanging with me, and let's now take time to pray about it and ask God to to be at work both within our church as well as our world. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time today to be able to worship you. We thank you that your word is indeed true, that it is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you that there is a plan beyond this world in which the fallen creation will one day be restored, even the redemption of our bodies. And God, between now and then, we are groaning. And creation is groaning, and we are longing for that day in which all things will be made new. But until that day comes, Father, I pray that you will help us Help us, Lord, to to be able to hold to your truth. Help us to follow the paths of, of truth in love. 
of grace and truth. God, may we be a refuge for those who are hurting. And may we also be a lamppost for those who are looking for the way. God, help us as we navigate today this sensitive topic. Take your words, use it, and apply them today in a way in which you will be glorified and lives will be saved. Father, we thank you for this time of worship and we lift it up to you now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.